Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning in the name and through the power of the shed blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, asking Lord, that you would bless us right now with the transforming power of your Holy Spirit. We open our hearts to you. We open our ears to hear your word. We pray that you, oh Lord, would open the eyes of our heart, that we might see your glory, and that that light might shine in the darkness of our lives, that we might become more like you. Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Will you uh, say the Lord's Prayer with me, and we'll use the word sins. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may have a seat. We're going to be in the book of 1 Peter. We've been making our way through over the last couple of weeks. With all that is in the news every day, um, there's a lot that gets left unreported. And I was shocked earlier this week when I read two stories that came out of a, a newswire that I didn't see talked about anywhere else. In the first article, it said that the scientists of Google announced this week that they have created a computer and they are claiming to have quantum supremacy. What does that mean? The scientists at Google claim that they have created a computer that computes things in the way that subatomic particles work. And their quantum computer solved the problem in 200 seconds that would take a classic supercomputer 10,000 years to solve. In fact, they claim that this quantum computer renders any encryption system or security system known to mankind presently obsolete. In the second news story on the same day, The Guardian reported that scientists have raised a red flag because another group of scientists have been growing human brain tissue from stem cells. And these human brains grown from stem cells that are about the size of a pea have spontaneously begun to emit brain waves that the scientists claim are like that of an unborn child. I'm not making this up. We've been talking about the fact that we live, are living and entering a time of exile. And here's why. In 
a world with quantum computers and brains grown by stem cells that begin emitting brain waves. Is Jesus Christ even relevant? And there are many in this world that would say no. There are many in this world, in our popular culture, from our politicians, to our scientists, to our educators, who are saying that the time of Christianity, that the time of Jesus is gone, it's done. They point back and say, Christendom, the 1700 years in which Christians ruled the Western world and Western thought, is a backward time that gave us the patriarchy, that gave us this inquisition, that gave us uh, things that actually set us backwards. And now the time is to put Jesus behind us and move forward into where science is leading us. That's called exile in this time that we're living in. And I posed the question this morning. Kevin has posed it in the sanctuary. What are we doing? Is Jesus even relevant in this day and age and in the age to come? You know what, I wanna pray one more time. We're good. God, I just uh, would ask you in the uh, coming minutes to uh, empower your servant to speak your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in 1 Peter chapter four this morning. Let me read for you verses one through 11. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, so that they may be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all else, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. 
People of God, this is the word of God. Thank you. A couple of weeks ago, I was, um, I was honored by um, our local community theater, Union Street Players, uh, for work that I've done there, Wendy's done with me over the last uh, 13, 14 years. And in the introduction, uh, as I was being introduced, uh, the gentleman who introduced me, I've been involved with from the very beginning, the very first play I was in here in Pella, he was in, and we've been around one another and have been on the board together and related a lot through this community theater organization. And I found it interesting that as he introduced me for being part of this community theater organization, that one of the things he mentioned was that I was a man of faith. Because we really haven't had much conversation about that. We've always interacted on really in terms of theater because that's what we're involved in together. After the, after the uh, evening was over, I went to find him and thank him for his introduction and thank you for his kind words for me. And he said to me something interesting. He said, you know, I really wanted to talk more about your faith. And he said, I, I read your blog and I find it so interesting. He said, I read it almost every day. And one of the reasons is, number one, it's a quick read. Number two, you never preach at me. Number, next, you never condemn me. You just share from your heart what God is doing in you and speaking to you. And you know what? Sometimes I don't even agree with you. But every time I'm reading and I think I don't agree with that at all, I can hear you saying, well, let's talk about that. And inviting me to have a conversation. I've been blogging a long time, and one of the things that I, when I started blogging, I made a very specific point out of that I wanted my blog posts, when I speak about a chapter a day of scripture, that I want to talk about what God is saying to me and what it's making me think about and what's going on in my life and how what I read in that morning intersects with what God is doing in my life and my relationships in that way. And there are mornings that I have I confess that I've gotten to the end of writing my post and I've looked back and I've read and all of the pronouns are you, 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 you. And I've gone back and deleted the whole thing and rewritten it about what God is saying to me. And when, uh, when Doug said that about me, I just thought, that's, that's why. I'm not here to, to condemn. I'm not here to point fingers. I'm here to just simply say this is what God is doing in me. Hoping that others can catch the spirit and go, well, what about me? And interact in that way. Now, I share that because in the scripture this morning, um, as I was reading through it, I came up with seven questions that, as I read it, seven questions that God really gave to me. So 
I want to be like my blog post this morning. I don't want to preach at you. I want to share seven questions that I've been wrestling with out of this scripture and, and see if Holy Spirit might have you wrestling with some of the same things. Let's begin in chapter four, verse one. Therefore, now whenever you see therefore, it means what? Something has been said before. Now that we've said this, therefore we're saying this. One of the things that I hate about scripture sometimes is the fact that, our, the, the fact that we have put chapters and verses to things. We tend to think, read things like they're in a capsule all its own. And we sometimes lose the context. Well, he says therefore, so we gotta go back and say, well, therefore what? Chapter three, verse 18, says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. So Christ suffered for others. He suffered for us. He suffered for you and he suffered for me. Christ's focus was not on himself, but others, on us. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, Arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. And this is interesting, because in, in our culture, in the world that we live in, it's really a lot about us, isn't it? What I want, what I need. I mean, we're barraged with, you know what, you know what I need is an iPhone 10, or 11, or whatever the number is right now. You know what I need is to get away. Thank you, Southwest. What I need is a cold one. What I need, and we're barraged with this thing, whether it's social media or whether it's on television and the mainstream media, we are barraged with, with a world that tells us what we should want and need, and it becomes very much about me and about what, what I'm driven for. And so when we come to, come to Christ and we come to church, it's really interesting because there's even a big debate going on even in the last couple of weeks about the prosperity gospel and how we have, many have co-opted the message of Christ and said, well, the message of Christ is all about you, that you should have it all, that you should be able to have all these things. Now, what I find interesting is that if you read the scriptures, Everywhere God says, get ready to suffer. What? That's not an easy marketing tool, right? I remember when my, when my mentor, Chuck, told me about, he was uh, head of marketing for Corey Ten Boom's movie, the, the Hiding Place, who told the story of her uh, and her family hiding Jews during the Holocaust. She and her whole family were arrested, sent to concentration camps, and Corey was the only one who survived. And she lived the rest of her life sharing the gospel of Christ around the world. And so when Chuck sat down with her to say, so Corey, I want, we're gonna market this movie around the world. What, why are you making this movie? Tell us, let's start there. And she said, I am making this movie to prepare Christians in America for what they are eventually going to suffer. And Chuck said, we can't market that. <laughs> Suffering is what scripture time and time again tells us to be prepared for. Go back to chapter one, verses six and seven. So Peter says it at the very beginning of his letter. 
in this you greatly rejoice, there's the chain reaction of praise, praise him, rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer all kinds of griefs and trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater work than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. For those of you taking notes, go to Romans chapter five, verses three through five. Go to James chapter one, verses two through three. The same thing is preached by three different authors. Rejoice when you suffer, knowing that this suffering has a purpose. Jesus himself, when disciples came to him in, in the Gospel of Luke, it says, he says, yeah, I'll, I, Jesus, I wanna follow you. You know what? Birds have nests and foxes have dens, but the Son of Man has no place to, to lay his head. In other words, dude, you're not ready to suffer. You want it easy. You want to, you want to stay at the Marriott. Well, guess what? We, we rough it out in the back. Jesus was all about the diminishment of this world on level three that the kingdom on level four could be brought to this earth. And the paradigm is through suffering. It says, arm yourselves with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. What does that mean? It means when we suffer, we can kind of basically go two different ways. And though I watch those who suffer, either I go into the wallowing of self-pity and victimhood. Oh, poor for me. I'm such a victim. Somebody save me. Have pity on me. Or we can go the direction of the chain reaction of praise. Praise God. <laughs> I don't know what's going on and I hate this, but God, you got a purpose in it, so I'm just gonna trust you and I'm gonna keep walking. So which direction are we gonna go? And Peter is saying, look, exiles, you are walking in a place where you are going to have to suffer. So get ready and be prepared because if you are willing to suffer and go through the chain reaction of praise, what you're saying is I am done with this life. I am done with this attitude of it's all for me and I, I should have all that I want and it's all about me and it's all about what I need and it's all about what I want and therefore when I suffer, I feel, what, cheated. But if I've done away with that and I've gone this way, then when I suffer, it's like, you know what, it's not about that. God, what is it about? I don't know. It's about your glory, whatever that may mean. He goes on, says, as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. So as we think about suffering, I, I wanna take a real quick time out. What does suffering in this world look like? I just read this week where in China, two of the largest churches in China, evangelical churches, in fact, I mean, the buildings, huge buildings from the pictures, uh, you know, very different architecture, but, you know, church about the size of third. Two of them. In the middle of worship, the Chinese government came in, arrested everybody, tore the building to the ground, and from what we understand, the Christians went to concentration camps. Do I think that's going to happen in America? I don't know. Do I believe what Corey Ten Boom believed? I, I don't know. I think that there are different kinds of suffering. And I wonder sometimes if the suffering that we are going to experience here doesn't look so much like, the, like it would in China, but it might look more like the fact that we are completely 
marginalized, that we become completely ignored, that our popular culture and our government and the power structures on level three of this world completely just despise us and ignore us, marginalize us, and call us crazy. I don't know. Our suffering might look, look like the, the very institutions of this world that were built on Christian thought all of a sudden begin rewriting Jesus out of the history. Maybe our suffering is going to look like that. I don't know. But whatever it looks like, I believe that what the scripture says is we should be prepared to suffer for Christ. As a result, they don't live for the rest, the, the rest of their earthly life, those who suffer well, for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. And here's question number one. Seven questions. Question one, number one, what am I living for? What am I living for? Am I living for the things of this world and the things that I want and the things that I can get? Or am I living to make a difference in this world through Christ? What am I living for? Let's move on. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. So what I want you to see here is this. We've got a transformation that has happened. So Peter is talking to the believers who are not participating in the things of this world. And he's saying, you go out and you are living in this world and they look at you and they say, you are different. You're not doing the same things. You're not living the same way. There is a transformation that has taken place in these people's lives, these Christians' lives. I'm no longer doing this. I'm now living for Christ. And those who don't know Christ look at me and see something different. Now, I want to back up here. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Bristol shared with us. She had the great graphic up there, and she talked about the whole process where Jesus' idea was we take level four eternal kingdom power and principles that comes down to level one, transforms my life as an individual. Now, my transformed life in relationship with Christ transforms my relationships with everybody I come in contact on level two. And as I interact in level three, whether it be at work or in community activities or the community theater or wherever else it might be, people see that there is something different about us. The way Christendom has worked for 1,700 years is it has taken the power structure of level three and it has dictated down what we should do, what we should think, what we should say, what we should behave, how we should do things. Under the threat, because that's how it works, isn't it? I mean, how many of us have grew up, hey, make sure that you behave or else we're gonna embarrass your whole family. Be careful, behave, or you might be called up in front of the church and shamed in front of everybody else. Make sure you live the right way or else you'll be excommunicated from the church. Now, I'm not saying there aren't times and places for people to be held accountable. But what the church, what Christendom did is it basically took the power of level three and pushed it down and said, behave, do it this way. You're doing it, why? 
because I'm afraid of what might happen if I don't. Do you see what's different than Jesus coming down and changing my life so that now I want to live differently? I want to live to serve him. I want to praise him. I want my relationships to look different. I want to love people and show them kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. And then they go, wow, what's different about you? I've been watching you. What is it that you've got that I don't got? Do you see the difference? And so what we've, what I, when I read this, I said, you know what, most, growing up, most of the churches that I grew up in and I've been involved in through the years, they would take this passage and they would focus on living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. That would be the focus. Don't do that. Don't be part of the world. That's evil. You'll be condemned. But that's not Peter's point. Peter's point is you live differently. Not because the church is telling you, you must do this or else, but because your life has been transformed by the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. Paul said in Romans, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So what am I living for? Question two, what, how has Christ transformed my life? What is different today in my life because of Christ's transformation than it was a year ago or 10 years ago or 50 years ago? What is different? What has Christ done? Number, question number three, where am I intersecting in the world that others could see that difference in me? Am I out living in the world to be an example of Christ? Am I out there where people can see my faith in my actions and can see me living it out? Or am I living sequestered in my Christian family, in my Christian community, in my Christian activities, in my Christian community, where people in the world can basically just ignore me. They have to, because I'm not, I'm not around them. That's not the way that Jesus wanted it to work. <laughs> We're to be out there, Peter says, where they see. They see that we're not joining them in the ways that they live. And it makes them mad, some of them. Then he goes on. But they will have to, they who? The, the folks that are living in the world, the drunk, carousing, idolaters, they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. What does that mean? Keep, keep going. For this is the reason the gospel is preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to the human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Who is judging them in this text? Who's judging them? God, thank you. It's not Christians. It's not the believers that are standing there, not participating, going, you evil people, carousing, drunk, practice all kinds of evil stuff. You're terrible. You're going to hell. What Peter says is you give those people to God. 
Let God be the judge. People, can we please take off our junior Holy Spirit badges? And focus more on loving people so well that they see the difference and stop judging them so much that they can easily dismiss us. Our lives, our words should be, be such that people see Jesus in us. The Jesus in his kindness that led us to repentance and transformed our lives, if it has. Question four, when encountering those in the world who live lives of worldliness and revile me or treat me with contempt because I'm a Christian, is my response to love them, treat them with kindness and gentleness, to return a curse with a blessing because that is the kingdom of God on the offense. Don't curse those that curse you, bless those that curse you. That's Christ. Or is my response to condemn, to judge, to distance, to push away, to be angry at, to revile, to hold with contempt? Because that only guarantees we will never make a difference in their lives. Goes on. The end of all things is near. Interestingly enough, you know, it's interesting. Yes, Peter thought that the end of the world was coming any moment. Paul thought that the end of the world, that Jesus was coming back, it was, could happen any moment. Even today, as I shared about the the, uh, the brain tissue that's emitting brain waves, by the way, they call them organoids. That's what scientists call them, organoids. When I shared with people about organoids in the supercomputer, the response I got from multiple people was, man, doesn't it just make you think the end is coming? Yeah, we immediately go there. But the reality is people have been saying the end is coming forever. Does that mean that it's not coming? No, it's going to come at some point. But what what. Jesus and Paul and Peter preached was be ready at any moment. Know that this could be over in a second. Live your life that way because tomorrow is not guaranteed. I just went to my high school reunion a few weeks, about a month ago, and uh, was talking to this guy. And I was one of those, if you've ever been to a high school reunion and you kind of look at somebody and go, I should know you, but I don't remember your name. And he, uh, this guy was looking at me across the table, and he's like going, and I'm like going, oh, I don't know who this is. So later, we were standing around, milling around, and, and I had a chance to kind of do the quick name badge look. Okay, got it. Yeah, and then when I saw his name, I'm like, of course. So we chatted a little bit. Um, he bought me a drink. We sat. We talked about his life, what's going on in life, the typical high school reunion conversation. Great to connect. Um, and so I uh, left the reunion, and about three days later, he was in a restaurant and choked on his food and died. I just saw that guy. We don't know. You could feel, even on social media, you could feel the soberness of my classmates as the word spread around. You never know. The end is near. At any moment, this could all end. So in light of this, in living this, it could, I only have this moment kind of uh, existence. Therefore, be alert 
and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all else, love each other deeply. And what have we been saying all along? It's about love. It's about the law of love. Love, 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 love. John the Apostle um, in his life. John and James were known when they were living with Jesus and in his ministry as the sons of thunder. You know why? Because they were angry, mean, condemning. John was one of the people that said, Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven and burn all these people up because they don't want to welcome you in their town? And Jesus is like, no, you don't get it. <laughs> no. Because you know, you know the real hell that they are going to have to suffer is that they didn't get to experience my love. And nobody in that town got healed. Nobody in that town was extended my grace. That's their suffering. So leave the hellfire. Move on. Leave them to me. Are we willing to do the same? It goes on. Love one another deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Next question. What's your spiritual gift? What's my spiritual gift? What am I gifted in? You're going, well, I don't have any spiritual gifts. Yes, you do. The scripture says that the Holy Spirit gives to each one, each believer, each follower, a spiritual gift is given that you may serve the body of Christ with the gifts that you have been given. So what is your spiritual gift? And if you don't know, that's the next assignment for you in your spiritual transformation. Finding out, what am I gifted in? What is it that God has allowed me, kind of given me a, an ability to do? So take that gift and serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very works of God. If anyone serves, they should do the strength that God provides. So the last question I ask myself is this. How am I using my gifts to serve this community of believers and this community that I live in and the people with whom I intersect every day? How am I using my gifts for God's glory, because that's where it ends. Isn't that interesting? Go down to the very end of verse 11. So that in all things God may be praised. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up. I, as I studied this scripture this week, found myself asking these questions. What difference has Christ made in me What difference am I making in the spheres of influence that I have? Am I interacting with this world through the fruits of the Spirit? Love, kindness, joy, peace, patience, gentleness? Or am I operating in this world out of defensiveness and anger and condemnation and frustration 
and grumbling and complaining. We live in weird times, people. A supercomputer that renders all security systems in this world obsolete. Organoids grown in a lab. Where is it all going? Is Jesus even relevant? I believe he is. But if that relevance doesn't show itself in my life, how is anyone out in the world without him going to know? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would bless us. That even in our suffering, whatever that may look like, we would live lives of praise and purpose. Lord, use us. Bring your kingdom power to transform our lives and our relationships. That we can so live and speak and love in this world that that love becomes compelling to those who don't know you. We confess, God, that we have done it the wrong way so many times. Forgive us. Change us. And help us do it the way you did it. Through love and grace and forgiveness. For it is in Jesus, our Lord's name, that we pray. Amen.